Welcome to Raw Relationships, the podcast that keeps relationships real and wonderful. I'm Melissa, and I'm your host. Welcome to the podcast. I am interviewing Dr. Romani. She is a licensed clinical psychologist in private practice in Santa Monica and Sherman Oaks, California, and professor of psychology at California State University, Los Angeles, where she was named Outstanding Professor in 2012. She is also a visiting professor at the University of Johannesburg. She is the author of the Modern Relationship Survival Manual, Should I Stay or Should I Go? Surviving a Relationship with a Narcissist. She is also the author author, not author, of You Are Why You Eat, Change Your Food Attitude, Change Your Life, as well as the author of numerous peer-reviewed journal articles, book chapters, and conference papers. She brings a wealth of expertise in relationships, sexuality, health, and wellness. I am super, super stoked to interview Dr. Romani. She, I've been watching her um, interviews and I just think what she has as a message is awesome and I love what she does. So without further ado, let's welcome her in. So welcome Dr. Romani to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. So can you tell the listeners a little bit mm-hmm. about um, your history, yourself yeah. and what you do? Yeah, I am a professor of psychology at California State University, Los Angeles, and I'm a licensed clinical psychologist in private practice. I also have spent years doing research on a variety of issues. I teach uh, internationally. I take groups of students to uh, India, um, where we work with an NGO there, and I'm also a visiting professor uh, at the University of Johannesburg. So I wear a lot of different hats, and um, but sort of where my presence in the media has really kind of coalesce is in my work in narcissism, which has also been a part of my research. It's a big part of my teaching, and it's a huge part of my clinical practice. And I got into this work when I recognized how many people were suffering at the hands of narcissists, but nobody was really giving them adequate clinical support or really telling them what the real deal was. And when I saw how lives were being turned around, when somebody just basically gave them a roadmap to this thing we call narcissism, it was turning lives around. And it was then that I really committed a, a lot of my work and my writing in that area. Right. Awesome. So you've been, you've been doing this for a while then. <laughs> I've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, years ago I went to, got my undergraduate degree at UConn and I did my PhD at UCLA. But my, uh, and that was a long time ago. I've been a professor at Cal State LA for almost 20 years. But in, you know, as with all things, you never really do what you set out to do. It sort of happens to you. And when you put your ear to the ground, you hear the patterns. And it was really this narcissism piece. And I always joke, I say, listen, you want to study tortoises? Move to the Galapagos. You want to study narcissism? Move to Los Angeles. And I'm here in Los Angeles, which is sort of the mothership of this, you know, disorder problem, call it what you will. Yeah. Yeah. So something that I've seen um, or watched on one of the interviews I watched of you while doing my homework, um, I saw that you said, I I don't want to put exact words in your mouth, but I'll get you to clear it up, is a narcissist is not born, they're made, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, by and large. Can you touch Mm -hmm. on that a little bit for us? 
Yeah, I mean, people, listen, if you want to look at it this way, all children, in essence, are born narcissistic. They think everyone really exists to serve their needs. Think of a crying baby, right? It cries, Mm -hmm. it expects people to serve it, and if it doesn't get its needs met, it cries some more. That's fine in a one-month or three-month-old infant. That's not okay in a 35-year-old person. And so, you know, if you want to, what happens is the way we're raised, the way we're parented, that helps us sort of grow out if you will, of the narcissism of infancy. And then we do what we see. We don't, you know, when we do what we see done around us by our parents, it has a lot to do with how present our parents are, how much they give us an emotional vocabulary, how they treat us. Narcissistic parents can, you know, sometimes either get, get either narcissistic or very anxious children. But a narcissist mm-hmm. is made by how they're parented, by the lessons they're taught in the world or about the world, what they're taught about entitlement. You know, some of us, and many of us, the more I do this work, I do realize that there's this tiny little bit of, I almost want to call it constitution or temperament that a person is born with. I think there are some people who are simply born sweethearts. They just are. And even though they're put through hell in their childhood, they still come out the other side sweethearts. And I've worked with clients like that. And I mean, they've had childhoods so disturbing, so epic, and so traumatic that you're wondering that they're still standing. Not only are they still standing, they're the kindest, loveliest, sweetest people with more integrity than you could ever imagine. And then I've met people who actually had really loving, consistent parents, and they still turn out to be narcissistic pains in the butt. So there has to be some little bit of a constitutional element, but by and large, it's very much a shaped disorder. It's shaped by parents, shaped by society, shaped by messages the child gets, but a lot of it, a lot of these, this foundation, I should say, is set pretty early in life. Yeah, yeah, and I was thinking that too. I was like, I think in a, in a kind of a way we're all a little bit narcissists, mm-hmm. but if we know how to control it, right, like if we're not using it to manipulate other people, then I think it could be maybe a good quality in a way if it's not used to extreme. Does that make sense? Ish. I mean, I always say, I, even, I hate the term healthy narcissism because I think mm-hmm. narcissism is in and of itself not a very healthy state because the key indicators of narcissism, particularly the lack of empathy, is mm. it's not a good yeah. characteristic. You know, to lack right. empathy. Now, in a moment in time, you make make a decision that is quite selfish, that is quite self-serving. But at the time when you're doing it saying, maybe only doing it once saying, this is going to hurt my sister so much, and I'm aware of it, I'm going to do it, but I'm very aware of it, and there's a sense of remorse and guilt and discomfort, so much so that the person doesn't do it again. I don't know that I'd call that narcissism as as much as a moment in time, especially if the person doesn't keep repeating that. But when you really look at sort of what the pillars of narcissism are, lack of empathy, entitlement, grandiosity, being really superficial, chronically seeking validation, being arrogant, and being prone to rage or not being able to regulate strong emotions. I don't see how any of that can be healthy. We all want to be told we're pretty. You know, everybody wants to hear something nice from someone. That's why we dress up. But there's a difference between wanting it and needing it. The narcissist needs, the rest of us simply want. Everyone wants a compliment, but if you go to work and no one gives you one, you still get through the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's not the end of your world where you have to go make right. somebody feel mm-hmm. bad. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. So you can so feel better. Yeah, so they'll pretty much go to any length to um, to make themselves feel better if they can't have someone else stroke their ego. 
Right, and then that often involves, it's because they're all about managing themselves from the outside in, right? So it's all about what other people tell them about themselves, and if they can't get mm-hmm. that validation, they'll seek it out, and if they can't get that validation even when they seek it out, they'll put other people down to lift themselves up. Right, right. So do you, do you think that most cheaters are narcissists at the same time? Mm-hmm. I yeah. do. I think a, a vast majority are. Because think about it, at the core of it, mm-hmm. if you cheat and your partner cares about you and they mm-hmm. learn you cheated, it will hurt them and you still yeah. do it. There has yeah. to be an element of narcissism to that. Now, do some people cheat from rather dire circumstances that stopped having sex with their partner or, mm-hmm. you know, their partner hasn't looked at them in years and it's sort of almost like in any port in the storm that the other partners I'm feeling, certainly that is the right. case some of the time. But especially when you're dealing with repeat offenders, cheating mm-hmm. is very much part of the narcissist's handbook because at the end of the day, they feel entitled to do whatever mm-hmm. they want, whenever they want, and they do not think about who they're hurting because yeah, if they, they did, they'd say, yeah, they know it. Well, they know it well. Yeah. And they still do it. Yeah. And do you think like I know I've 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 had some instances um with people that would be like it's almost like how you, <clears throat> excuse me, how you said it's an entitlement because it's like um mm-hmm. I find a lot of them will blame out, outwards, like blame uh-huh. other people. Oh, you know, mm-hmm. the government's after me because somebody didn't do my taxes right. But that's really right. not what it is. It's actually because they didn't do something right. That's right. Maybe they didn't right. file taxes for 10 years, right. you know. Right. Um, so that in itself is kind of like it just blame other people because it can't be their fault. Is that, do you think, that, because they can't look within Yeah, they can't look within, but also that's a phenomenon called projection. Projection is when we take sort of forbidden and uncomfortable parts of ourselves and we project them on other people or other situations, which is a big part of why narcissists never take responsibility for anything. You know, right. anything. So anything bad happens, this has to be my accountant's fault. This is my coworker's fault. This is my brother's fault. This is my mother's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. It's very, very rare for them to take genuine responsibility for anything that they, that, again, that bad, that happens. And even when mm-hmm. they cheat, they'll say, I cheated because you're not having sex with me often enough. They'll come up right. with that rationalization. They'll literally, right. you know, project it onto someone else. And that use of projection as a defense is, a, is one of the key, the sort of the key signs of narcissism, someone who chronically projects. And it can make other people feel crazy. They're like, you know what? I, people will say, I could feel okay about this if this person would just take some damn responsibility for what they did. Yeah. But the unwillingness to take responsibility is what makes the entire situation even more maddening. Yeah. Well, and I know from my experience, my past experience, um, the reason I got into doing the relationship coaching that I do, um, I was married, and for the first year, something told me that something wasn't right. He was cheating. And when I would ask him, he'd be like, no, nothing, everything's good, Mm -hmm. I'm happy. And I honestly believed him. And after a year of it, I actually thought I was going crazy, so I went and Mm -hmm. seen a psychologist. um, And they determined that they put me on a couple different medications, one for depression and one for, um, I think it was, I don't know exactly what they diagnosed me with. They just gave me medicine and said, this should fix it. Um, but it was Risperdal. You would know what that mm-hmm. is. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, and 
I can tell you that, number one, every thought I had, any feeling I had was gone for a whole yeah. year. And I pretty much slept on the couch. <laughs> and I gained 100 pounds. Um, yeah. And then one morning I woke up and his cell phone was going off. And normally I wouldn't ever look because, like I said, I had no feelings at that point. And I reached over and I grabbed it. And sure enough, it was a dating app that he was on. And I was like you're kidding me. <laughs> like my intuition, I think was telling me, um, but he manipulated me enough to make me think that I was crazy. And it makes me sad because some, you even went to a mental health professional and they thought yeah. you were psychotic. Yeah. They thought I was obviously hearing voices. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. You like know, that, I mean, that, that's what's so heartbreaking is that, you know, it's amazing yeah. how much narcissists can get every, rally everyone in the world. And in fact, many mm-hmm. people have said when they go into couples therapy with a partner who's a narcissist, the narcissist totally manipulates the couple's therapist. And right. so right. it's a, you know, which speaks volumes about the fact that the couple's therapist either is narcissistic or doesn't know about narcissism. But, um, right. I do think that, um, you know, it, it, this idea that people, that the phenomenon you're talking about where, where the narcissist literally twists or denies the other person's reality is called yeah. gaslighting. Again, a very yeah. real, consistent part of not only narcissism, but it's considered to be emotional abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's, it's sad that people actually do that and, and say they love someone. That's where I kind of get confused because is maybe is their vision of love that warped that they actually do think that that's how they show love? Well, love is a tricky word, isn't it, right? Because it means it different is, things yeah. to different people, right? You know, one person calls a dry yeah. wine a dry wine, another one person thinks it's sweet. And I think love is dangerous there too because the person will say, if you love me, then you wouldn't X, Y, and Z. I'm like, God, how do you know what love means to them? It may, it may yeah. mean that to you. I think one thing we often don't do is get a clarification of terms. When you say you love me, what does that mean? It yeah. may mean, hey, I love you, but I'm going to go have sex with other people. That's not mm-hmm. usually what it means, but it may mean it to that person. I think it's a throwaway word for narcissists. I think it yeah. lacks depth. I think it's often, um, you know, I love that you make me look legitimate to the world. I love the right. idea that I might be married. I love the idea that we have a house and some kids. You know, do they love you in that unconditional way that really makes the core of a loving, reciprocal, respectful relationship? I'm going with no. Narcissists really right. don't have the bandwidth for a deep, loving relationship. Right, because the next thing that they kind of feel attracted to, they'd probably be right on it in one way or another, right? Well, well, it's just that people are very disposable to narcissists. Mm-hmm. They view them as disposable, as dispensable, and as, in, as basically as conveniences. It's almost like plastic knives and forks. They're very useful at the moment you need them, but when you don't, you throw them aside, and you really don't care about what they, how they feel if you're not using them. You know, so I think right. that there's a real sense of not only disposability, but they also view people as conveniences. When you're convenient to a narcissist, they can make you feel like the center of the universe. When they have no yeah. more need for you, they can dismiss you very quickly. And that can be really destabilizing for somebody who becomes either a friend or a partner of a narcissist. They'll say, oh, my God, like this person was all about me for six months, to which I mm-hmm. usually say that's because you were serving a need. And now they yeah. don't have that need anymore. You know, it's like, it's like yeah. a snowblower in the middle of July. You don't need it. Yeah. And isn't a narcissist really charming? Yeah, as a rule, they tend to be very charming. 
confident yeah. and charismatic. I call them the three C's. And I, always, I tell people as a rule, you may want to stay away from charming, charismatic, and confident people initially because mm-hmm. they can often be scary as partners. And I'm only being partly facetious when I say that. When you really do meet that person who's like, hey, let me tell you about this great vacation I took. Let me tell you about my boat. Let me tell you about my motorcycle. When it's all about that and they just seem like they're really cocky and they got it all going on, take a step back. Because that stuff tends to generally mask insecurity. The problem is most people don't want to listen to that. And so they're like, oh, I found someone charismatic and charming. This is so great. And they'll Mm -hmm. often say that was the the quality that captured them about a narcissist in the first place. And it's actually a red flag. (laughs) Always a red flag. Always a red flag. I always say go for the person who's a little bit socially awkward and, you know, kind of shy and spills their wine on their shirt. That's the person you want to talk to. Yeah, and, you know, I think there's such a a big gap, like you said. You know, like there's some people that wouldn't accept recognition if they were so recognizable. You know, they would rather just sit back. Like I know myself, I don't really like putting myself out there. I'd rather sit back and do it a little bit. You know, I'm not Mm -hmm. all about, you know, I need to get more comfortable. That's going into my comfort, out of my comfort zone, but... A narcissist has no issues getting up and saying stuff about maybe stuff they don't even really know anything about either, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Again, that's the lack of insight. That's the grandiosity. That's the superficiality. Right. So kind of a know-it-all personality. Yeah. Now, you, what kind – oh, something else I wanted to ask you about um, while we're still on the narcissist subject. Um, on one of your interviews, I, I heard you say – narcissists are good for like kind of uh, friends with benefits or, but they're not uh-huh. like you don't breed with them. and Don't, don't marry Mm-mm. them. You will not Mm-mm. change them. Even though you no. think you may, it's not going to happen. Right. No, you're not. Yeah. You, everyone thinks, I don't know. I'll be the one. No, you won't because no one will. And yeah. unless you met them when they were like 94, maybe it's that <laughs> truly facing their mortality. But I actually think they'll be grumpier then when, than when they were younger. Absolutely yeah. not. You want to have a little fling? You want to have a few, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, a couple of wild weeks in Mexico or a fun Vegas weekend. The narcissist may be your guy or your gal. But for the mm-hmm. long term, absolutely not. That's the mistake. You know, people try to convert these people into legitimate partners, and they're just not made for it. You know, they really, really aren't made for it. And if you bring any status to the table, so a person who may come from a wealthy or powerful family or a person who themselves may be wealthy or, you know, have connections, you can, be, you can be sure that a narcissist who's always looking, working the angles, they tend to be very exploitative. They will mm-hmm. date someone simply because they can get them four seats for the Lakers, or they'll date someone, you know, because they um, might give them access to somebody at work or something like that. They, not, there's almost like no maneuver that's too low for them, but they absolutely mm-hmm. are not made for long-term partners ever, never, ever, unless you're someone so wired to say, hey, I met a very wealthy narcissist. I will expect nothing from this person, but I will enjoy living in a big house. I have yet to meet the person that's that circumspect, you know, yeah, and well, so you will get hurt. Yeah, you will get hurt. You will get hurt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's not, I know for me, I did it for three years and that was enough. And he was all those things. Now that I look back at it, you know, he had a, he made $150,000 a year and he spent $200,000 a year. Yeah. Know? 
he, yeah. you know, he, did, he didn't. He always has somebody else to blame for his misfortunes. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's really not good because it's. I think it's really, um, you know, especially if you're on the flip side and you're very em- empathetic or empathic, um, it's damaging. Like it's, oh, yeah, know, it's for very me, damaging. Yeah, and for, like, to carry on next relationships. I know for myself that's kind of my pattern was cheating men. And every time that happens, it's like it just takes a little bit away every time, you know. And I think it's it's so tough because the next person you meet really has to give in all of that because it's baggage that you just can't get mm-hmm. rid of. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like it doesn't yeah. go away unless you're uh-uh. on medication, but then you get all other stuff too, right? You know. No, it, it doesn't. I mean you you get your heart broken so many different ways by a narcissist and and it really does damage people is that to say someone can't recover not only can you recover from being in a relationship with a narcissist you can really and truly thrive because once you really do enter a truly loving relationship it's it can feel like you know i don't know tasting a certain dessert for the very first time like oh my god this is amazing so it's Mm -hmm. a um it can really be a rebirth once you're out of it, mm-hmm. but it does. It, it, can, it can infuse people. It, when I see, when I've worked with, as I do work with many people who are coming out of relationships with narcissists, you see that they're full of self-doubt. They mistrust mm-hmm. themselves and they find it hard to trust other people. They tend to be skittish, depressed, anxious. They have lower f- feelings of self-esteem. The relationship damages them. They, as it yeah. was, they likely were already questioning themselves a little, which is how they got into these relationships in the first place. And then the narcissist does a number on a person, and it can be very difficult to recover. In addition, it can also render a person even vulnerable to the next narcissist unless they really do the work and identify the pattern because the pattern tends to be, I'm going to love this person so much, I'm going to win them over. And lots of people who came from families who had to keep proving themselves to their parents, those people are often, it's a setup to go and find a narcissistic partner where you're always having to prove yourself. Right, right, like a, it stems right to childhood. I know that mm-hmm. that's so huge. You know, I, I was working with a client the other day, and she said she just can't, she has a really hard time with love. And I'm like, well, how was your relationship with your parents, <laughs> first thing? And she's like, mm-hmm. well, my mom, she tried, but she just didn't really know how. And I'm like, well, there we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was easy. There you go. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> Those patterns, if yeah. you had to be that pleaser kid, uh, or you were the one who had, to, who had to constantly bring the narcissistic supply to your parents, tell your parents how great they are and how wonderful they are and how attractive they are, or your parents actually were in competition with you about your achievements, all of that, again, becomes a setup sometimes to look for that in a partner as an adult. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think, what do you think about um, technology and, and what's happening with people on their on their phones? Because I, I have a huge thing with that. Even with myself, I have to remind myself because I find, like, I have little kids, and I'm like, they're bouncing around me, driving me crazy, and then I'm like, they're annoying me, and then I look at myself because I'm all about self-reflection, and I'm glued to my phone working. And then I'm like, oh, don't get frustrated with them. You need to put your phone down and deal with your children. You birthed them for a reason, right? Like, do you think that leads to people not getting the attention they need? And Mm -hmm. we're going to bring in this whole new generation of total narcissists? 
<laughs> you know, the jury's out because, you know, smartphones and, and that evolving technology has really only been around plentifully for about 15 years plus or minus. So yeah. really that first group of kids, and even then they weren't as ubiquitous. Data costs more money. You know, now yeah. when it's around all the time, um, we're going to see something because you've got parents who are staring at phones. You've got a breastfeeding mom who's staring at her phone, a parent at the park who's staring at their phone. When I, yeah. uh, my, my kids are quite a bit older. They're in the late teens. Um, when I took them to the park, the only thing there was to do was watch them in the park. There was no phone yeah. unless I brought a book. You know, yeah. and, um, and when, I, when I breastfed her, I had nothing else. What else could I do unless I was watching television? In the middle of the night, I couldn't do that. So I just stared at her face. There was nothing else to do. And I thank goodness for that. Because all of this distracted parenting means that the child is not getting that consistent mirror they need in the early years. That's how a child learns yeah. about emotion. They feel good. Mm-hmm. They're smiling. They look at the parent. The parent smiles back. They start understanding. It's the emotional dance, and they start trusting their feelings. If their parents are constantly distracted by their devices, this is not a good setup, not to mention that the devices really pull people into a world where there's a lot of social comparison. And all of the devices, all of the apps, all of the stuff associated with it is designed to make people feel insecure, right? I've got to Mm -hmm. play the game better. I've got to be thinner. I've got to own that pair of shoes. I've got to get this. I've got to get that. The more insecure the world is, the richer the conditions are to develop narcissism. That's it. That's, yeah. that's almost like the fertilizer in the soil. And what technology yeah. has done, and while it's done some really wonderful things, it's definitely fostered a sense of societal insecurity. That is the ultimate, ultimate Petri dish to grow narcissism. Yeah. yeah, and I think I totally agree with you. And, and like you said, it's, and it brings in a whole new level to cheating and and contacting uh-huh. other people and you know like for myself with the with the whole cell phone thing and my own past it's like when my husband now we've been married six years now um and I trust him but I still it triggers me when he's on his phone too much because it's like what are you doing who are you talking to you know why is that more important than connecting with me Mm -hmm. like I'm alone Mm -hmm. I feel alone and it's horrible and I think a lot of people are having this problem like with relationships and cell phones and and who who they're talking to and you know what's considered cheating nowadays too right that's a whole new you know, it's not just having sex now. It could be intimate conversation. It could be mm-hmm. pictures sent to each other. Mm-hmm. Like it's a whole, and I guess like you said, with love, everybody's definition of cheating is different as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, everyone's I, definition is different, and there's a whole phenomenon of micro-cheating. You know, so mm-hmm. these are all different ways we think about this. And then with, this, with mobile devices of all kinds are really a setup for the micro-cheating. You're not sleeping with someone. You've probably even mm-hmm. never met them. But you can send these. It's almost any time a relationship outside of your intimate relationship is causing you to pull some of that intimate energy out of it, things you should be sharing with a partner, you're sharing with someone else, um, that, 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 that's going to start getting you in the realm of micro-cheating. And the best rule of thumb is ask yourself how you would feel if your partner mm-hmm. was doing what you're doing, if it would yeah. bother you, then stop. You know, so I yeah. agree. It's become a way for people, especially narcissistic people, and especially people who are not very self-reflective, to really kind of go down that rabbit hole because it's such an easy, quick fix at a moment in time. And it feels so harmless, right? What's two texts yeah. and a couple of emojis, and then I can delete the, delete the text, and no one will be the wiser. It, again, yeah. it's pulling you out of that intimate space with someone. It shows a real lack of empathy, and it's, but it's getting too easy. 
It's, so what yeah. it means is that whether as a parent, as a partner, as an employee, or as a friend, there's a real need for mindfulness that, yeah. is, that supersedes what we've ever been asked to do before in terms yeah. of managing these devices, having the discipline to put it down, not look at yeah. it, um, when a conversation gets boring, to not just pick it up and, um, or just simply be there with someone. And if somebody's been cheated on that way, somebody has had their trust betrayed that way, it can make them very uncomfortable in a new relationship when somebody's mm-hmm. interacting with a device. And that way you'll see people, it's almost like they're worry beads at this point. People are just constantly scanning at their phone, scanning at their phone. They're almost looking at nothing. And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, but it's yeah. as though it's like it, it really has become a way like to mainline validation and people are constantly looking, who's going to text me? Who's going to email me? Who's liked something on my Instagram or my Facebook or something like that. People are constantly looking for that. That's going to become a real problem because there's going to be a point at which the world doesn't want to give you any more validation. And then that means we have a whole world of people who feel really empty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I know that's exactly why I do what I do is to try to keep people mindful and, and like I have a four-year-old and he's, I have him meditate just about every night before he goes mm-hmm. to sleep. I'm like, you, his dad said to him the other day, don't cry. And I looked at him, I'm like, don't you ever tell him not to cry. He's allowed right. to have feelings. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> right. You're allowed like, to have Whoa. feelings. It's okay to cry. It's, but then also teach them. Like, for example, a lot of kids are no longer really learning how to deal with things like frustration and disappointment. Fast forward that 25 years, in many ways, that's the narcissist's dilemma. They can't handle frustration. They can't handle disappointment. And they tend to take it out on other people. They scream they yell they can become violent you know they can mm-hmm. act out they, they just they're very difficult under those conditions this is what the job yeah. of parenting is is to teach a child to say things don't always go your way and it sucks but mm-hmm. you're going to have to sit with this uncomfortable feeling devices yeah. narcissism all of this are about being really uncomfortable with being uncomfortable yeah you know and i think do you think a lot of it comes down to they just really don't know who they are um they like don't. Their purpose, maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, meaning and purpose is almost too highfalutin a conversation for most narcissistic people. Yeah. If you ask them their meaning and purpose, <laughs> yeah. it, it's usually, it usually reflects status. I want a big house. I want a big car. I want to make yeah. a lot of money. I want a specific mm-hmm. kind of purse. I want to take a vacation here. It's very, very superficial answers. It's never, you know, I want to find my meaning and purpose. I want to leave the world better than I found it. It's very rarely that. You know, yeah. so their, their pursuits are very superficial. And the fact is, the world rewards them. We, when we look at someone with a big house or a big car, we assume that they're virtuous. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we see a person who's struggling, we assume they did something wrong versus saying, what is it? Maybe that person is financially struggling, actually gets up each day and does something very meaningful to them. Just because, yeah. it, you know, the world doesn't always reward the righteous, not by a long time. Yeah. Well, that was, that's just it. And I think having compassion, I know I, I wrote a little tiny ebook, uh, one of my first ones that I put out and I had, for me, the, the four pillars to a healthy relationship were um, empathy, understanding, compassion, and self-growth, <laughs> personal mm-hmm. growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I think without a balance of all four of those things, it's doomed. <laughs> but I think it all yeah. starts with ourselves, right? Like we have to, we have to love ourselves fully. Like that's my huge message and my huge learning um, curve in life 
is if I can't love myself, I can't get someone else to love me and make me feel better. It has to start with me. And until Mm -hmm. I can fully do that and fully accept me for who I am, whether it's good or bad, (laughs) then how is anybody else going to? Well, that's absolutely right. If people actually do practice self-love, they wouldn't get into relationships with narcissists. No. Because they wouldn't let one get that close. No, I think, and I think, like, I know for me, after, after the whole incident with my ex, I stayed single for seven years, and I said, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to dedicate my life to my kids, because I had two young kids, and that's exactly what I did, and I can tell you, like, I'm happy now, but I can tell you emotionally and mentally, that was the best seven years of my life, yeah, while I was I'll single, bet. just finding myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and, and giving the best of yourself to your children, which is always a very that's noble right. pursuit. You know, so I think though, but that idea, like, you know, I think a lot of people also don't give themselves permission to immediately walk away from someone narcissistic. And it's the best thing you can do when somebody's really that, that person, that arrogant, you know, unempathic, superficial, glib person, get up and leave, you know, whisper in the friend's ears, I gotta go. I'm not feeling well. I'm out of here. Or just be honest. I'm not listening to this. My life is too short to waste my time ever breaking bread with a narcissist. I can tell you that. Yeah. Well, that's just it. I know for me, um, because I've been through it so many times, it was easy. I just woke him up and said, get me a place to live because I'm moving out now. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, mm-hmm. what? And I, so mm-hmm. then I showed him what I found, and he didn't argue. He was like, see ya, mm-hmm. because he mm-hmm. didn't care, right? Like, And that's, that's yeah. the horrible part. He just paid 1500 bucks for the divorce. He got me a place. He made sure he helped out, and we stayed friends, in quotation marks. Um, because I had kids, so I didn't want it to be a great big nasty thing. You know, to me, it's that's not their fault, so I'm not going to put it mm-hmm. on them. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was just interesting, and I thought I couldn't understand. Like, if you actually truly cared, you'd beg for me to stay. You know, you would be like, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Yeah. I shouldn't have, you know, but he didn't even do that. He was just like, mm-hmm. okay, see ya. <laughs> Yeah, narcissists don't apologize, and when they do, the apologies are so empty that it's more of an insult, and so, you know, if you're waiting for an apology for a narcissist, it's like waiting for a bus that's never going to come. You know, you're going to be waiting a long time, especially for a genuine apology, because there has to be insight for there to be remorse and for there to be an ability to to take action in the face of it. Right, and they're then they're not doing that. Mm-hmm. They don't have any no. any thoughts about that. Sadly, no, no. Awesome. Well, how can our listeners find you, Doctor Romani? Well, there's different ways you can find me. We you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Doctor Romani. D O C T O R R A M A N I. And on my website at Dr. Romani, which is D-O-C-T-O-R-R-A-M-A-N-I.com. And up there we have all kinds of stuff, you know, listed out, including uh, seminars that are coming to, you know, West Coast, East Coast in the coming months. Uh, a lot of people want consultation on this. And so, you know, we're making sort of those question and answer forums available. Uh, my book is called Should I Stay or Should I Go? surviving a relationship with a narcissist and that's available on amazon and i have a new book that should ideally be coming out probably in the earlier part of 2019 awesome awesome well that's cool i'm so thankful to have you on the show to share your thank you thank you thank you you're so welcome well i appreciate it and i hope many people can get out of their summers um narcissist free or 
relatively speaking. That's my hope, you know, so, yeah. (laughs) That was another great interview, as always. If you would like to find me, you can find me on my Facebook page, which is Raw Relationships. I also have a group on Facebook called Raw Relationships. This is a group where you can ask for advice and just get support from everyone in the group on everything relationships. Relationships with others as well as relationships with ourselves. Again, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to my podcast and I look forward to bringing you many more great interviews from experts all over the world.